We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world in both the ring and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, you'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who make him the boxer and the man he is. It's all about the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, family life, all that good stuff. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays right here on Blue Wire. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet. Inside the five. To the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. He is McCaffrey. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded it. All right, Panthers fans, another game-winning edition of the Roar Podcast. The Panthers are 3-2 and two now, three-game winning streak, and Billy Marshall and I are going to break it down for you, give you all the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's, and some of the things to look forward to this week as Carolina is tied for first place in the NFC South. Billy Marshall, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I'm well, man. Uh, enjoyed the game yesterday. Got to look at some of the other action around the league afterwards. It's always nice to... Uh, See Carolina win a one o'clock game so you can kick back, enjoy some of the other action. Of course, uh, thoughts and prayers to Dak Prescott. That was brutal, but that's another topic for another show. <laughs> um, let's just start out with your general impressions of where Carolina is right now after their third straight win. What did you think about the game? 
Yeah, certainly a pretty solid win. Not perfect by any means, but I thought it was impressive that after Atlanta went down, first drive of the game, they just no resistance by Carolina's defense. So they faced some adversity after that, and they were able to score 20 unanswered. And I kind of thought that it showed a lot about their character, uh, their ability to not get kind of caught up uh, with the momentum. I, I know momentum can be a little bit of a jargon term, but I feel like it's appropriate here. So, yeah, overall, a pretty encouraging performance. I thought the defense was fine. I, obviously, I think we'll discuss the run defense, which I thought was just flat-out pathetic. And I want to yeah, see a lot of couple players in particular uh, who I thought did not have a very good game, and they need to be singled out because it was unacceptable. And I mean, pass defense did really good. I thought the coverages were amazing on the back end. They really matched with Atlanta's crowd concepts. You saw Matt Ryan many times just forced to hold the ball in the pocket. A few mm-hmm. times he was able to escape and create throws out of structure, and the other times just threw it away. So I thought the pass defense was very good. A little unfortunate with the Brian Burns injury, but I'm not sure how severe it is. I hope it's nothing too bad. From his own Instagram post, it seems like it's fine. But yeah, the offense did pretty well, I thought, too, running the ball and passing it. So yeah, pretty solid win. Not perfect by any means. And but yeah, I mean, they finally won in Atlanta for what seems like years. That's uh, a big deal, right? I mean, we've talked about this, Billy, for years now. 2014 was the last time they got that done. And, and honestly, uh, it's been since the Mike Smith era since Carolina has any semblance of success against Atlanta. They had that one win at home against uh, the Falcons in 2017, and even that game was a bit sloppy offensively. That was the uh, famous slam dunk game by Cam Newton, by the way. But, yeah, looking at the game, I just love what Joe Brady continues to do offensively, and we can start with the offense there and zone in on some of the concepts and and just the game management. I'll, I'll give you my synopsis from a broad perspective, and I'll let you dive into some of the particulars here. But I think what I'm seeing here is a differential from the, the Ron Rivera, North Turner, Mike Shula days. And again, it's not pinning it all on them, but just the fact that they're coming out of the huddle with a clear message, with a clear focus. They're not dicking around and wasting timeouts. You don't see a lot of that going on at all this year. The management of the clock has been fantastic. And I thought it was spectacular, Billy, to see Matt Rule, Joe Brady, put the ball in the hands of the entire offense before the first half and go 90 yards for a touchdown drive. So I think that's really encouraging. The offensive line continues to improve. I think you're getting a situation now in, inside in particular with those two guards, Miller and Reed and Paradis, where you're getting some continuity there. Those guys are doing a good job in the run game in particular, mauling people. I think Matt had one of his best games since he's been a Panther, quite honestly. And uh, the receiving core, you know, what can you say? Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore continue to impress. DJ has that nice little whip route you talked about yesterday. A little pivot, he comes out, shows the afterburners and uh, gets there. Of course, Atlanta's defense is a holy mess, Billy. We can talk about that too. The communication is bad. The effort is bad. But that's just my general impressions uh, from an offensive perspective. We'll go position by position here. Let's start with you, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. What did you make of his performance yesterday? Sure. So he was pretty solid yesterday. Uh, He wasn't perfect again. Uh, Obviously, he missed essentially two touchdown throws to DJ Moore. And if he connected on those, I feel like Moore would have had potentially a career game. So... He, I think he really needs to – I'm not sure what it is, but I think there's too much locking on eyes to Robbie Anderson, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Anderson's pretty good, 
but I also feel like he needs to read the entire field and make sure that he's giving the other receivers an opportunity too. Right. So, and I'm not sure how this is sort of like the phenomenon we saw with Cam Newton in 2014, where, yeah, Kelvin Benjamin had a thousand yards, but Newton was essentially like force feeding him the ball. Yeah. And I mean, Cam didn't really have a great season in 2014. You saw next year in 2015 when Cam had essentially a bunch of no name receivers, but the talent was dispersed a lot more fluidly and he was able to distribute the ball at a more effective level, which led to an MVP year. So I feel like the same thing could be said about Bridgewater and don't get me wrong. I'll say it again. Anderson's a fine receiver, but Curtis Samuel is also a good receiver as is DJ Moore. And you saw on the whip route that DJ can make things happen when he gets the ball in his hands. So Mm -hmm. Bridgewater has got to do a better job of fixing his field vision um, because you don't want to let those plays I mean, you have to let those plays play out and you have to make sure you're making them to guys like DJ Moore because you're going to face much tougher defenses. And if you don't do that in the future, then other teams will make you pay. Yeah, there was one route in particular where he found, uh, I don't know if it was Samuel over the middle there on the uh, the in route. And uh, he had DJ on the deep cross. Yeah, that was one. That was that was the one that came to mind there. And I, I made it a point on Twitter, you know, we we – sort of gave both sides to it. It was a nice throw, good execution in a key situation. But again, almost every game this year, and this goes back to some of the tape I've looked at on Teddy, and I know you've seen the same thing. Uh, it's nothing new. I mean, I, I don't think it's an arm strength issue. I know he's not the, the most potent arm in the the universe. We've talked about that. But I don't know if it's just a one-read situation. He's locked in too much, or he just doesn't feel like it's worth taking those shots. But in that case, you know, he had DJ uh, to the house there. But uh, to be fair, you know, again, that's yeah. what, no, that's what you get with Teddy. It's what you get with Teddy. We talked about it all offseason. Don't expect him to make too many of those throws. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, looking at the tape in New Orleans again, he, he didn't take any shots, you know, so to speak. He took a few against Chicago in that game uh, last year. But uh, overall, he's a point guard. He's there to just, you know, Put the ball in the hands of the guys that are in the intermediate part of the field. Distribute. And uh, what I do like is the fact that we're eliminating the bonehead mistakes. I mean, obviously, the Tampa game hinged very much on that screen pass that was you know floated over the guy's head. And then you've got, uh, you know, the, the deep crosser there that was behind, I believe it was DJ Moore that got picked off. And he had a little pressure in his face. But, uh, no, I'm with you. You know, I think – at some point, defenses are going to clamp down and they're going to find a way to force Bridgewater to make those throws. And uh, the test gets tough this week with a very good Chicago defense. So, yeah, uh, no, I think you're just, right. just to get back to you, I mean, I posted that clip where he had an open DJ Moore running on the drive route, but he stepped up and made a tough throw to Samuel. And I had a few people like come in here and say, no, that's a bad play. And I, and j- just for the record, folks, I am not going to determine what a good throw and bad throw is when I'm live watching the game because I don't know the reads and I need, this sounds really like snarky, but I mean, you can attest to this too, John, the coach's film tells you a lot more than watching on the broadcast. Oh, hell yes. Totally. I mean, sometimes, sometimes the broadcast does show all 22. It it does. Yeah. And I, I take those views when I see the, you know, the wide angle there from the, from the end zone, you can decipher a little more from that, but when you're looking at the actual broadcast, you know, sideline, it's just hard to see the route development. It's hard to see, uh, the separation, it's hard to see what's happening. So it, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, when you occasionally get that angle like we did yesterday where you could see the route development and DJ was running that drive route and open, yeah, you can make some minor critique there. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I always hunger for that film on Tuesday or, or in this case, Monday. 
where you can actually get a good look at what's going on, and uh, right. especially for Bridgewater because this offense is so route-oriented. Uh, it's so dynamic in terms of the route concepts. You really need to get that uh, all-22 view. But, I mean, I, I don't do grades here. I mean, I'm not <laughs> – I'm just telling you, I think Bridgewater played very adequately. He moved the ball well. Uh, he moved in the pocket and out of the pocket well. I think he did a good job in situations where, I mean, he comes late in the game, comes to mind where he kind of eats the sack there after about – you know, it wasn't really sacked. It was a two-yard gain. Doesn't do anything stupid. Um, and, again, we've seen quarterbacks over the years make some bonehead decisions in critical situations, and that's where the conservative nature of Bridgewater, when you have a lead, comes in mind and comes in handy. When, when you're behind, that's where I want to see what Bridgewater can do. If you get down two touchdowns against a team, then where is this offense? And uh, I don't know if Chicago has the firepower on offense to do that to Carolina, but there will be some teams, Kansas City, Green Bay, that have that firepower to to put Carolina in a hole, and let's see what he can do there. Uh, but Yeah, when- no, I, I, just to get back, again, I, I'm not uh, – I don't want those two misreads overshadow what was a good performance. Right, so right. I just I want to it. mention that. Totally get it. So we move on to Mike Davis. I mean, this is a fascinating story. The uh, Gamecock product right down the road from me here in Columbia. I loved his story. Uh, he's a great guy, honestly. And obviously from a, from a football perspective, he's ping-ponged around a little bit, played a little bit in Seattle, had some time, I believe, in San Fran. And uh, I always figured the guy put in the right situation could make an impact sort of, I guess, like a Nick Goings did back in the day for Carolina in short order. And I'm just amazingly impressed by what he's doing, not only from a power run perspective, finishing runs, reading his runs, reading his blocks and making good cuts, but also in the passing game, Billy. I know PFF had him graded really high this week in terms of his uh, receiving game and some of the plays he made, uh, you know, sort of the plays that McCaffrey is used to making. Right. Uh, and by the way, I'm not going to do the contract <laughs> debate with McCaffrey. I saw your tweet today, and I'm like, no, right I mean, on, Billy. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that to Twitter. People are going <laughs> to get mad at us if we keep. Well, the... we just can't. I mean, it's just too early. We can't go down that road yet. He's signed. There's nothing we can freaking do about it. But they put their money in McCaffrey. But no, I think uh, Mike Davis is is looking really good. I just your impressions of Mike so far, and we'll get into the right. offensive line after that. So, so and we we mentioned this last week too. I think that in general a successful run game is based on your scheme and how the offensive line is doing and the offensive line and scheme are doing pretty well but at the same time there is a lot of positive momentum with davis because he had 89 rushing yards but 74 of them were after contact so that takes skill that's not something that's any running back can do so his ability to run after contact, elude defenders. You know, he's essentially like a bowling ball in some ways. His yeah. balance, his ability to just keep his legs churning whenever he gets hit at the line of scrimmage. He, I'm, I'm not sure if I saw him lose a yard or two, maybe in oh, garbage time. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really didn't see that. But overall, again, another pretty solid performance. And I don't know. It, it just, I mean, pass blocking, I thought he did okay too. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, PFF graded him pretty well in as a pass blocker so yeah they had him graded out uh yeah he was a pretty good range there pretty good range 78 78.2 pass block rating it's pretty good yeah for sure so again i thought he was really good just overall game and and that just speaks to um you know just a lot of the talent that's out there within the running back market Mm -hmm. and and that's essentially the larger topic of how you should invest in that position but no i I get uh, it but I mean, Davis was essentially out there. I mean, it's not like you know, Panthers paid or invested a lot of money into him. So nope. uh, kudos to him. And even I, I thought the other guy, Cannon, he had a one yard. He had two carries. One was for a yard loss, but I thought he did the other one 
um, you know, he showed that he can move the pile a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, pretty good game by Mike Davis, though. Well, one thing that we've talked about, you know, I, I've probably beat this dead horse quite a bit, and maybe I, I overanalyze it, but I don't think I do. The, the the Sean Payton influence in this offense, and it's not just a matter of the route concepts and design and schematics. It's also about philosophy. And then one thing, Sean Payton, for as much as he loves to pass the ball, he's always had a couple of backs there that have sort of a, uh, I, I guess, a contrast in styles, I guess you could say. But both are always able to do things. Uh, after the catch, you know, Pierre Thomas comes to mind with Reggie Bush. Uh, for a while, they had, uh, you know, Mark Ingram there with Kamara. And uh, historically, they've done that. That goes back to some of the concepts he learned under Bill Parcells, I'm sure. So it, it's interesting to see sort of that uh, trickle-down effect philosophy-wise from one coach to another to another. But I think more importantly, uh, as we transition to the offensive line here. Yeah, can, I, can, I, actually, have... can I give one more thought on that, actually? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah. So. Obviously, we can't do anything about McCaffrey's contract, and I'm not. A lot of the jokes I make on Twitter are for Twitter. So if you get, of anyone, yeah, if anyone gets upset about that, then that's people on you. To, but but no, I, I do think, <laughs> no, but I do think that your your most recent point about how the Saints, how they distribute their running back carries, is relevant because during the first two weeks when McCaffrey was healthy, Davis only had one carry. I know, right? So yeah. if the Panthers are serious about th- this running back by committee system i mean they should be first of all because they should overworking mccaffrey and he, he just it's it's a lot more prudent yeah i mean there's things mike can do that christian can't and moving the pile like i mean i love christian he's not a weak runner he can run inside but let's face it there's some things mike can do after contact that christian can't do quite as well and likewise there's things christian can do that mike is not as good at and that's why regardless of the contract a smart coach and these guys are smart i'm sure they'll keep this in mind would say you know the hell with the contract i mean it's already paid out but we've got a good thing going here with mike he's got a good rhythm going here you, you use the word momentum i agree that word is sometimes overused but no you've got a bit of a hot hand there you don't want to eliminate him from the offense so at that point it comes down to utilization how often do you use mccaffrey as a running back versus maybe out wide in the slot but there's only so many of those opportunities because again you got you know this empty set they run is is primarily based out of 11 and sometimes even 12, 21 personnel where it's not five wide and then one running back or four wide and one running back. You're, you're looking at, you know, trying to get the matchups and your key core skill players inside the numbers on matchups. So it's not just as easy as saying, oh, we'll just put Caffrey out wide and Davis can be our, you know, our 21 pony guy in the backfield. They've got to find a way to give Davis some traditional carries with McCaffrey off the field and not get caught up in how much agree. they paid him. Yeah, they've got to find a way to do that. I mean, Davis, it's, it, it worked with McCaffrey and Jonathan Stewart in 2017 beautifully. And, you know, obviously Cam was there too to carry some of the load, but you don't have that now. you got to find a way to have some power and win in the paint, as they say in basketball. It's the no, same way in football. I, I totally agree with that. My concern yeah. is that when McCaffrey becomes healthy again, they're going to continue doing this 90, 95% of the no, snaps. They, and they can't. They just I, hey, I, I, I totally agree. I'm, you and I are yeah. on the same page here, to yeah, be clear. I'm with you. Um, well, I just think it just it goes back to, you know, was it the right decision? I, is it a marketing move to make that contract decision versus a football move? And that's not a knock on McCaffrey, but a running back can only do so much for you, Billy, at that one spot. Well, I, need distribution. Um, you and I are 100% yeah. on the same page. I, I think that my concern, and I, I want to see it to believe it, that they are going to implement a style that allows McCaffrey not to be on the field 90 to sure. 95% of snaps because I mean the the, the the Saints paid Kamara and they're still doing that with him yeah, yeah. I forget that guy's name the guy from you Latavius Murray Latavius still Murray right yeah. yeah and that's how they should approach this honestly I think but you know 
maybe Joe had some chance to reflect here and then finally gets to see what Mike can do. I mean, I think it's part of it too, is they, they may not have been totally sure what Mike could do. And, uh, it's more than one thing, obviously, you know, it's the offensive line, it's blocking. It's also using the pass to set up the run, which I think they're doing a good job of here at Carolina. So hopefully there's some lessons learned there and, uh, I can't be too critical of Joe, but that's one spot where he needs to maybe examine how he does things moving forward here. Um, but yeah, the offensive line, I mean, I'll, I'll start here and just give you sort of my view of what I've seen on tape so far. I thought Matt Paradis was exceptional in the run game. Uh, again, these guards inside, I think are doing a really good job, uh, in terms of pass protection. They're holding up nicely. Uh, Taylor Moten was dominant again in the run game, I thought. And I, I also look at Okun coming back into the lineup, uh, and, and doing some good things in the past game. Uh, not so much the run game at times, but, uh, yeah, I think the line's coming together. They continue to rotate a little bit at times. I'd left tackle, not as much this week. But uh, let's get your thoughts, Billy Marshall, on what you've seen so far, uh, not only through week five here, but just in particular yesterday from the front five there. Yeah, I think that Chris Reed, I guess I'm a little more disappointed in his performance than I am with the others. Yeah. Um, he did allow two pressures yesterday, which was just fine. But there were other times that I saw – when I was rewatching it, that he just could not handle Grady Jarrett. And Grady Jarrett's certainly one of the best defensive tackles in the game, but oh, yeah, sure. he, he struggled to really get his hands out and make contact to prevent Jarrett from mm-hmm. you know, using his quickness to beat him at the line of scrimmage. And then there are other times where he just didn't really sink his hips to the ground to really try to anchor. And I don't know, he, he's fine as a rotational guard but i would be a little more concerned about that left guard spot as opposed to the the right side again i I thought john miller has been one of the more surprising players this season he's certainly exceeded a lot of my expectations and to be clear i thought the the signing of him was it was a solid signing in the free agency um so i can't really complain too much and then okung he looks like he picked up right where he left off was pretty good yesterday and then um uh, moton pretty reliable another stellar game and pass blocking and I thought he actually had his best run blocking game of the season too so you know an, an, an icon for consistency you'll always yeah, get yeah. pretty good performances from him sure so yeah another pretty decent performance by the offensive line but I, I should say that the the Falcons were missing I believe they were missing Tack McKinley so the Panthers did catch a break there yeah, and you know the Falcons were a little shorthanded on both sides, but yeah, the, you you got to play who's in front of you. Grady Jarrett can can wreck a ball game. We've seen that before with Carolina, and uh, Reed had a couple nice blocks in the run game that I highlighted on Jarrett. But overall, yeah, I think he the you know is a tough matchup for him. Uh, I, I get back to the point here. I tweeted out earlier that Carolina hasn't allowed a sack in eight quarters or over eight quarters now, and uh, instantly you get the the flood of folks. And I understand the frustration. Well, oh, Cam, where where was this when Cam Newton was around? You got to step back and look at what they're doing schematically, though. I mean, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but they're spreading the field out. They're getting the ball out quick. They're not giving these guys a lot of opportunities to get after Bridgewater. And when they do, you know, to Teddy's credit, he's doing a nice job of eluding some of that pressure. So I guess from a pass block perspective, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but they've gone two games now without giving up a sack. Uh, again, they faced Chandler Jones. They faced, uh, you know, Grady Jarrett. They faced some pretty good guys up front, but not, not necessarily the best defenses in the world here. Uh, would you agree that some of that is schematic, though? Uh Yes, I, I do think some of it is certainly intentional. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a good question because I'm just not seeing a lot of like seven step drops where Teddy's holding the ball for no, five, it, six seconds. I mean, that's in that case, you know, you're looking at some problems. And what New Orleans did last year to counter that was a lot of max protect with Teddy, and it kept him in a comfortable spot. But uh, yeah, I just I, again getting back to you, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. 
Sure. So, you know, it's funny because Bridgewater, he's number six in the NFL in average time to throw, uh, which means it's the sixth shortest uh, amount of time. Yeah. Um, right. So behind him are guys like, or in front of him, I should say, are Philip Rivers, Nick Foles, Roethlisberger, Fitzpatrick, and Dwayne Haskins. So mm-hmm. he is getting the ball out quick. You know, it's interesting because the Saints, uh, Drew Brees is at 2.47, which is 13th. So it's a little bit of a decent variance between the two. But yeah, I mean, I do think a lot of the protection schemes have a lot to do with it too. I think that's one thing that we haven't really mentioned is how they've been able to avoid disasters by scheming their offensive line in directions where they can uh, protect the quarterback in a more fruitful manner if that makes sense no it does and i think they've done a good job again uh they did this last year north did a nice job of utilizing man hurts and and even now ian thomas at times you're seeing him stay back and and protection and you know again we talk about mike davis doing a nice job that's that's a key factor too where it's you know not getting a lot of situations where he's having a pass block but when he does he's holding up and he's doing his own uh to his own part to make things happen there but uh, again the test gets tougher here as you go along gets no easier against Chicago we saw if they did the Brady uh so we'll have to see in our preview coming up Friday how we uh shape that up and size that up as we kind of shift over to uh just so we can touch on the receivers right quick before we go defensively here you know again we have talked about this a little bit uh Curtis Samuel they did give him some carries I thought that was a nice little run he had uh inside there it showed a little power popped and uh good to see him being utilized uh I guess from a marginal perspective there you don't want to overkill him at running back but uh in the passing game, he was more involved, I thought. Uh, again, no big explosive plays, but certainly probably had some opportunities. Uh, DJ Moore with the uh, the pivot route there got out in space and just uh, took off. And again, Anderson doing a good job, made that nice catch on the stop fade. Now, the first play of the game, he uh, also puts his foot in the ground, pivots, and gets about six extra yards after the catch there. So uh, just a quick 30 seconds, I guess, on the receivers, Billy. Where do you see them right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're – a solid group that a pretty solid game today. Again, uh, Anderson, again, open at all levels of the fields. Uh, again, I thought Samuel has been trending upwards as far as his production as a receiver. So that was encouraging. Yeah. Uh, obviously you saw the r- very tough reception that he had on that third down where Bridgewater uh, fit him into a tight window. So yeah, again, the, and then DJ had obviously his first touchdown of the season, but like I said earlier today, or on this podcast, that I feel like he could have had a career game. In yeah, some <laughs> oh. no doubt. Yeah, no Maybe doubt. Yeah, no, they're leaving some opportunities out there. That again, we'll talk about Teddy. Uh, you know, not necessarily pulling the trigger on these, and that's just something we got to keep looking at as defenses continue to scheme up and clamp down on some of this short intermediate stuff. And, uh, you know, the, it's not like the opportunities aren't there, though. I mean, there's also shots uh, to, to Samuel I've seen, and uh, there's a couple from Robbie earlier in the year that you pointed out that uh, that he's missing. So we just got to monitor that and see where they go. But overall, you know, there's not not a lot of tight end involvement. I, I totally understand that a lot of these tight end schemes right now are used for blocking. And in some of these empty sets where they have uh, 80 out there wide, a lot of it's just to misdirect and get matchups inside. But uh, you'd like to see some Ian Thomas action at some point, especially in the red zone. I still think he's a really good athlete and can do some yeah, things I agree. after the catch. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important now than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit for free at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Offensively, we shift over, and it was a fascinating game. Uh, what continues to bother me, though, we'll start with the negative, is, the, I guess, some of the run fits and some of the uh, inability up front to uh, just control the gaps. It, it gets back to last year. I don't know if it's so much of that as it is maybe the, the the really, really poor play from their middle linebacker to hear Whitehead. I mean, we've talked about this over and over. Uh, his snap count continues to go down a little bit, it looks, and I think that's encouraging because, again, not to single out one guy, but he just hasn't. He just hasn't measured up, Billy, and that's a big yeah. position for this defense. Sure, no, hundred percent correct. But I'm, I'm not, I don't want to focus on him because I think we, we, you and I know what he is. We've known. I was, more, I was more disappointed in the play of the defensive line in this game. It, I mean, it was completely unacceptable. And I mean, I know he's a rookie, but Derek Brown, like, this is why we drafted you in the top yeah, ten. He had a bad game. It, 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 it just, he had. I don't get it. Like the first two weeks, the first two weeks of the season. He was not great, but again, I'm not going to be harsh on rookies the first two weeks. That's just how it is. And he was also facing a pretty good opponent. The last two weeks, not he was not only good, he was probably great, especially against the run. I mean, that's what we, he's known for. Yeah, sure. But yesterday, it was just flat out unacceptable. Like, I, I watched the All-22. It's not even just getting controlling the line of scrimmage it's not like he's getting double teamed either no, i mean it's... you have to like play with some leverage like put your arms out control line of scrimmage put your head up you know disengage and really try to control line of scrimmage so your linebackers can fit into runs what he was doing was just getting off the snap pretty slowly and then immediately like the atlanta offensive line just established hand position and drove him backwards and then they yeah. created those holes because i don't think Gurley was did anything spectacular. He was just running through gaping holes. It was horrible. Yeah, it, think of a game back to uh, 21 yards for Gurley. And then yeah. Brian Hill had six carries for 39 yards. Dude, there was, yeah, there, there was a game in, I think, 2018 at Atlanta where that was a game where Cam got the concussion uh, from Kazee. But that, that, that similar thing with Tevin Coleman in that game. They were just getting wide on those stretches and there were gaping holes. Okay. And, and uh, no, totally 100%. And then you actually bring up a good point is the the play of the force defenders and the force defender is the guy who's supposed to get wide and when he gets wide he's supposed to turn his back towards the sideline play with one hand so essentially he's like setting the edge but he's also making sure that he does not allow the runner to beat him down the side and we help our help our listeners out who would be that guy in this defense that would be russell douglas troy pride whoever else i think jeremy chin also had one your perimeter perimeter guys right there perimeter defenders so i mean those again i get these guys are young but this head coach and this defensive coordinator they said that they want to make it a priority 
to fix their run defense. I obviously believe that pass defense matters more, and I think the data also bears that out. But at the same time, mm-hmm. if you're going to say that, then you get you have to have get these players to buy in and play it that way. Because I'm fine with you know Derek Brown having an average game, but th- this type of inconsistency where he's playing at a very low level for three games, but then playing at a very high level, it's just it has to be consistent. And I think that I, I expect him to play better next week, but I really hope we can he can start developing some consistency because the Panthers need him to do that. And you're seeing other guys, other young players on defense finally start to trend upwards. And the guy I'm speaking about specifically is Yuturk Gross Matos. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to him in a minute, but Brown really has to improve against the run in my opinion, because that's what he was known for. I mean, we have questions about his pass rushing potential, but if he sets the tone at the line of scrimmage, it makes the linebacker's job much more easier. And again, I, I'm not trying to take anything away from the issues of to hear Whitehead because no, sure. we've exasperated on that for such a long time. No, and you know, to be fair, Kawan Short was not much better yesterday. The oh, hundred percent. It, it was really good. that's that's sort of what the formula is here. You know, you're relying on your perennial Pro Bowl defensive tackle, who probably has lost his step, honestly, to be fair, after some injuries. Yeah, to really be the guy to help take away some of that load inside. I think Zach Kerr has been the best guy inside all year, honestly. Uh, consistently, I, I think he's been a, a, a nice little pickup there, but he's traditionally a nose tackle type, and you're looking for somebody to be able to do a little more than what he brings to the table. I, even at the point now where they're putting Obata inside on passing downs, again, we're talking about pass rush. I think he's doing a good job there. I think he had a good game yesterday in terms of uh, just overall getting after the quarterback, but also, you know, one of the better run defenders yesterday, if you look at it, and what was a very bad day for the run defense. So, yeah, I think uh, you expect a lot out of your seventh overall pick, and it's totally fair. I mean, you see what's going on right now with, with Isaiah Simmons and how they're trying to figure out how to use him, and he's not meeting expectations. He's getting flamed on Twitter for it, and I totally get that. But that's, hey, you're in the NFL now. That's part of the business, and if you don't measure no, no, up. I, and I think the Simmons issue is a little different because he's just not getting snaps. Yeah, sure. Brown is getting snaps, and all the big-time draft analysts, I'm talking about the national draft analysts, the Kuypers, the McShays, the Jeremiah's, the Bucky Brooks's, the Rob Rangs, all those guys said Derek Brown is not a raw player. He can, he's a day one football player, and we've seen that. He's getting a lot of snaps. Yeah. So it's time for him to, to start got to, to got develop dominate a level game. of consistency. Yeah you got to be the guy in the run game that uh, shows up and prevents these kind of games from happening because Atlanta was – I mean, they only ran the ball, what, under 20 times. They were over five, six yards a pop easily. And that's if, – if, if Dirk Cotter, who I just can't believe is still a coordinator at this point, had done a better job of managing the, the calls in those games. I mean, dude, he's just – they set up that game – to just ground and pound Carolina to death. And, you know, Matt Ryan didn't execute very well. Some of the things they did in the passing game defensively were good from Carolina's perspective. But overall, that game was set up, especially with a 7 nothing lead for for Atlanta to be uh, in control there. And I, I'm surprised they didn't run it more and run it more effectively. Uh, but uh, the times they did run it were, you know, honestly, Carolina got embarrassed. And it's not just one guy. Uh, obviously, when you, when you have Whitehead struggling, that's problematic. But again, he's getting less snaps now. So, uh... We'll see how they manage that workload moving forward when you move on to the pass rush and pass defense. Again, another solid game by Brian Burns, but again, uh, the injury, that that's problematic. I talked to his brother Stanley McClover, who used to play with the Panthers. We were deeming yesterday back and forth on Twitter, and obviously it's not official diagnosis, but it seems like it's not too serious. Obviously, we'll have to look at how he fits into the concussion protocol if he does. I honestly don't know if he's there yet or not, um, but uh, we'll continue to update as we go along. But just your thoughts on... You know, what Burns did early in the game, uh, what you're seeing from a pass rush perspective, and then we'll go into coverages after that. 
Sure. So I think the pass rush as a whole was pretty good yesterday. And, and it wasn't just Burns. And Burns, again, delivered another very good performance. And again, he's becoming a model of consistency that players like Derek Brown could look up to. Yeah. So let's see. The other players that I thought stood out from the pass rushing put position was Obata, as you mentioned, and Gross Matos. Both of them had three pressures each from the edge. Uh, there were a few times where FA was lined up on the interior and pass rushing downs. Yeah. Um, you know, allows him to use his quickness to beat these slower guards, and that really helps him out. Uh, Marquis Haynes, he had a sack. Uh, he's becoming a decent to solid rotational rusher at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, pretty good game from the edge rushers, I should say. But let's hope that Burns' injury isn't serious because they really need him. Oh, they do. It would really, it would set them back. Uh, uh, not let the defense needs to be set back anymore because I think they've exceeded expectations, but they still have a lot of flaws. And even from a run defense perspective, Burns can do some things. But in terms of what he brings to the table, obviously he's going to pin his ears deep from that wide technique and just get after the quarterback with a number of moves in his arsenal. And I've finally seen him healthy. It's it's unfortunate because he dealt with that wrist injury last year and he wasn't 100%. And Ron used him all over the field, including on special teams. And now he's finally healthy and this happens. But uh, as, as Stanley was telling me yesterday, that injury could have been a lot worse. I mean, that's what you take away from that uh, in a day where we saw some brutal injuries. So that that neck injury could have been a neck injury instead of a, just a concussion or just dinged up there on the head. So hopefully he's okay. But uh, it was a violent collision. Uh, and I do like what they're doing with Obata. I think Mutur Gross Matos, the PFF has both Burns and Yatur graded out top 10 overall in terms of uh, pass rush this year from the edge. And, uh, you know, Yatur's not getting as many snaps as some of the other guys graded out, but he's getting more snaps as we go along. Um, I thought, you know, from a coverage perspective uh you know uh, justin burris did some good things he made the nice interception there in the end zone against matt ryan which i thought was a terrible throw but again getting his feet down making a play was big i thought douglas was adequate in terms of what he did in coverage i thought corn elder had a pretty good game as well missed a couple uh run fits was a little bad on some of his angles but in terms of coverage but again you're looking at a situation where julio's out and everything rolls towards ridley's side and i thought early in the game they had a hard time maybe uh adapting to that but your thoughts in general on how they uh managed against atlanta's pass game yeah it was certainly excellent uh from the brief clips i've seen of the all 22 they mix up their coverages really well uh forced trying to look elsewhere which helped made him hold on to the ball um, obviously, it helps that Julio Jones wasn't playing, so they didn't have to direct a lot of their coverages towards him. Uh, but Calvin Ridley, obviously, he had a solid game. And I mean, there was a lot of drops, too, by the Atlanta receivers. So I want to mention sure. that. But at the same time, I thought they didn't really concede any big plays. And I think that's a big thing with this defense is they try to keep a lot of things in front of you. They had their safeties controlling the middle of the field and deep. So they prevent those big plays from happening. And I think it's working to an extent similar to how they – the Panthers in 2013 in some ways, obviously the schematics are a little different than Sean McDermott's defense, but I mean, it, it, it's working for now. And yesterday just did a lot of man zone, some pattern matching on top of it. So it's encouraging that the defense is actually playing at a level where it can be respectable. Yeah. The stat I like to look at, there's a 1.7 yard average differential in yard per attempt, uh, net yard per attempt between Bridgewater and what the defense is allowing. And again, that that speaks to what Bridgewater's been able to do with some of these weapons, but also defensively, they've done a great job here of limiting the yards per attempt and the big plays. Uh, most of the big plays are given up, honestly, are in the run game, uh, the explosive 20-plus yard plays. So occasionally you're going to see, you know, a, a route leak out, and they'll, you know, get a 20, 30-yard gain. But 
I've been impressed by, you know, especially the competition they faced here in the passing game. They've done a good job over all the past couple weeks of scaling that down, even against Tom Brady. I mean, I know he was without uh, Godwin, but they did some good things there in terms of limiting plays in the uh, past game. So I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm impressed by what they're doing schematically, and I'm impressed by some of the guys that I didn't expect to play too well to come out and play well. And uh, it's it's been fun to watch. So we'll see this young defense hopefully continue to grow. We just have some of the veterans. You know, Trey Boston didn't have a great game. White had struggled. He's going to struggle. That's where he's at. Dante, of course, went out with a toe injury. We'll get an update on that throughout the week, and that's problematic. But, again, Russell Douglas doing a decent job. Corn Elder in coverage doing well. Jeremy Chin, uh, again, they're using him in a variety of ways, as you know. I've seen him mugged up on the line at middle linebacker at times and dropping in coverage, and I think they're they're using him as they should be right now. He's not perfect, but, you know, he's leading all rookies right now in the NFL in tackles, and that's, uh, that's a solid stat. So, yeah, again, I, I, I thought he had a better game yesterday. I know that PFF has been lower on him, and, and I do think some of that is justified because I do think his coverage skills have been a little overstated by some fans, and he hasn't sure. been very good at, uh, in coverage. But yesterday I thought he did much, much, much better. It was more encouraging to see him um, really – being more determined in coverage and picking up on routes and really getting and closing down passing lanes. Uh, but overall as a tackler, yes, he's been really good uh, as far as he doesn't miss many tackles in general. Uh, I'm always wary of using tackle stats because it depends on where you're making those tackles. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, Luke, Luke Keekley tackles are a little different than, you know, right. Luke, totally. <laughs> a 20 tackle performance by Luke Keekley is a little different than a 20 tackle performance by He's Tahir earning White. every tackle on those, whereas it, some of these 20 tackle games, they're funneling right to, uh, yeah, right to like in 10 the yards down level. the field. Yeah. So you ever get a deal, you get a safety with like 11 tackles, you know, there's a problem because either they're passing all over you or they're, it depends who the tackles are against too. I mean, every tackle's created separately. I mean, you know, you can't grade a tackle against, uh, you know, like a Marquise Goodwin, <laughs> the same as you can against like a Mike Davis. So, you look at every situation different. If they're Jeremy Chin, I think can tackle just about anybody on the field. He's got good technique. He squares up. He finishes nicely, and uh, he's been a nice little shot in the arm for this defense. Played sixty-four snaps yesterday. That's impressive. So uh, again, they're using him quite a bit in that uh, sort of three safety look they're uh, throwing out there, and they're also not just the three deep safety stuff we talked about with Cody Alexander a while back, but also they're using him up front in the box and uh, just giving defenses a lot of things to think about and. Uh, We'll see what they do against Chicago. Uh, just, I guess, as we close things out here, um, I think just from a broad perspective, it's a big kind of statement win for the team. I, I try to look at this one week at a time. And again, the standings are what they are. It's a little early. I posted them earlier just to get fans kind of cranked up. But it's early. It's a weird season. There's a lot of strange things going on. Hopefully they can finish this season. But if we're, let's face it. It's been a long time since Carolina. I mean, I go back to 2017, could really truly – be excited going into the second half of the season as we get close here to maybe having a shot at competing. And I, I, I get the fact that, Hey, can this be sustainable? I think when you have performances like you have the last two weeks and they continue to look better as a unit, you can see where this unit, maybe even with this quarterback could be a perennial type of playoff team as they grow. But I'm excited that, you know, we've kind of gotten past this funk of the off season where we had no visibility at training camp, no visibility, no TAs, I mean, there were no OTAs. I mean, there was nothing to look at and say, okay, we can extract something from this and see where the momentum's going. It was all just a bunch of angry fucking people on Twitter yelling at each other about Cam Newton and and Greg Olson and all the drama. And I, you're like, I was a part of that analysis, and I get it. But moving forward, I'm excited about what Matt Rule's doing. I just said from the beginning, hey, 
I'll trust the process when I start to see what the process looks like. And the process always looked good from week one. There were some hiccups. But as this team grows, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing from not only a tactical perspective, but the energy level is good. And I guess I'll close that with your thoughts as uh, we are three and two right now. Yeah. So I, I do think it's a little premature to um, discuss the playoffs because at the end of the day, Atlanta is an 0-5 team. Sure. Um, but let's probably gauge after the Tampa game. Their next five games, Chicago, uh, at New Orleans, Atlanta on a short week, at Kansas City, and then Tampa. If I don't know if they go three and two there, then I guess yeah. it's probably pertinent to bring up their uh, playoff odds. I mean, you can bring it up now, but I think that the sustainability and you know how they are kind of captured as an entire team, it's probably going to be we need a little more data. So let's sure, at least in my view, I think I would make better judgments after those four or five games, uh, even just the next two games, Chicago and at New Orleans. I'm not a big fan of Chicago. I don't think they're very good. No. Uh, and I do expect Carolina to not only win next week, I expect them to win by double digits, hmm, wow. but if they don't, if they don't and if they don't win and they lose to New Orleans, then, I mean, they're probably a team that we kind of thought they were at the beginning of the season, which is a um, six to seven win team that can produce some moments here and there. But I do think the next two games gives us a, a good data point in the near term. And then the next five, probably in the longer term about how this team is going to do for the rest of the season. And I like it. You got a double digit win coming up. I Chicago. am extremely confident and I can even <laughs> show you pictures. I have bet on the Panthers. I can't last, wait. Yeah. I've been on the Panthers the last three weeks and they've covered every single one. And I'm, going out on a limb that nice. I don't care who plays quarterback for the Bears, that the Panthers will win big. Well, I, I, I like it, and I do think it's a game that they can certainly win. I'm not that worried. They open up as a favorite right now uh, based on our friends at uh, betonline.ag. I think it was a two-and-a-half-point favorite as of yesterday. So, yeah, I think the media understands that too, and some of the uh, guys in Vegas understand that Carolina can do some things against a team like Chicago at home. That, uh, that maybe they didn't think they could do a few weeks ago, and that's based on the data we've seen so far from what Carolina has been doing so far over these last few weeks. But I like that, Billy. I like it. I like where we're at. I, it, it feels good to be uh, looking forward and, and maybe seeing some hope here for this franchise this early because the biggest thing I, I didn't want to see was some clueless you know, journey through a, a, a two-and- you know, 14 season with you know, Bridgewater falling apart that week three, and it could all still happen. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, just think one, this one offense thing, is so well oiled. The offense to me is so well oiled right now. If they yes. just stay healthy. They can score with anybody. They can they can control the clock with anybody. I agree. That's as important. But the coaches also need to put the pedal to the metal, and by that I mean they cannot let up and let these teams hang around. I mean, you get a 20 to seven lead. Yeah, fourth and three decision to punt it. That was not a very good yeah, coaching like that. decision. I didn't like Your that. offense is not only doing very well, it's especially doing well in the passing game. So that was a little discouraging, and I do think that's a mark against them coaching-wise yesterday, not going forward and forth down there. But, um, I mean, hopefully they can understand that the way to win games in this league is to just really outscore your opponents as much as possible. Like, yeah, well, they... you can't play to just win these one score games because eventually it's going to reverse in the opposite direction. So hopefully they can understand that really put the metal to the. Well, I mean, you know, analytics, I'm all for it. I love it. I had the big discussion about Mike Zimmer last night. I can see uh, each side of it clearly. And I understand, you know, that is a very volatile issue on Twitter, but as far as it relates to Carolina, 
I totally agree that's a situation where you probably go for it and you can close them out at that point. Um, but I do like the fact that this offense has the ability to run that four-minute offense effectively. They've shown that the past few weeks, especially against Arizona, even yesterday, the ability to just take it to these teams that they should be taking it to, honestly, that are they're better than them. And finishing games with authority on the ground and draining that clock. But it gets back to Bridgewater. Again, how many risks are they willing to put him in? I had my, Matt Rule mic'd up for Sound Billy last week, and all he kept talking about Bridgewater is, I trust you to be safe. I trust you to be careful. So they're very cautious with Bridgewater, and I think Teddy uh, is, is cautious as well. So I agree. you got to be aggressive. But, um, you know, I, I, I do like the fact that they were able to run that four-minute offense. And it gets tougher, like I said, as we go along here. So we'll see. But uh, good talk, man, uh, as we kind of preview – uh, what's coming up this week? We're back with you on Blue Wire here on Friday. Billy and I will uh, probably have a special guest uh, from the Chicago perspective to talk about what to expect as uh, Carolina three and two matches up with four and one Chicago this weekend. Thanks for stopping by, guys. For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. This is the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Enjoy the winning week. See you later. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.